0: At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making peer support for post-traumatic stress disorder easily accessible with a vision of a world where finding help and support is simple and the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast. And today on Operation Tango Romeo, we have the president of Military Mines and the founder of the Rolling Barrage, Mr. Scott Casey. Scott, thanks for being here, brother.
1: Thanks, Mark. I, uh, I appreciate you uh, inviting me again. Uh, and uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you.
0: Thanks, brother. Well, you have been a busy guy. Uh, I mean, if it's not enough to be the president of Military Mines, I mean, you have a full time job on on top of all of this. And the rolling barrage has been no small task to to put that together.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely been uh, how do we say it? It's been a, a life of chaos <laughs> over the last few years, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely all consuming. And uh, I've just had a. I mean, I'm fortunate that I have a great group of volunteers that uh, you know have have taken up the slack and. And they just do a fantastic job every year. So very fortunate.
0: Well, you're definitely a high performer. Everything that you're doing is doing well, including the book that you wrote, which I've uh, just started reading. is extremely difficult, as uh, as you can well imagine. It must have been difficult writing it. But uh, uh, reading Ghost Keepers is, is challenging for me. I've got to do in small bite-size uh, uh, pieces, but that's that's another well-done piece since writing ghost keepers, um, how has that changed your life? And I mean, you must've met people that you otherwise wouldn't have met. And, uh, has the writing ghost keepers been for you?
1: Uh, well, it, for me, it, it was very cathartic. Uh, it was something that, uh, you know, I wanted to leave for my, my kids essentially so that they'd know, uh, what we did as, uh, you know, peacekeepers in the former Yugoslavia. Um, so it was essentially uh, when I first started writing, it was it was more or less uh, just memoir, you know, uh, form of what what I'd done, and what the guys from from November Company had done. And uh, as I kept writing, uh, you know, this memoir, it uh, it became apparent to me that this needed to. I needed to put it out there so that other people could not only learn, but heal from it. And I didn't realize uh, how far reaching, uh, you know, writing this, this piece was going to be. And, you know, it's gone so far as to uh, actually heal some wounds from people who lived in the former Yugoslavia as residents, you know, and uh, so some of the connections there have, uh, have been quite remarkable.
0: How did you, um, f- like all the information, all the memories, like if I was to try to write a book about my tour, uh, it would, I would have to be calling a lot of people to, to put in stories together. Did you have to access a lot of the the guys to review stories and, and, and double check? Hey, how did this go? And how did that go?
1: Mm, no, not so much because, uh, the way I wrote it was, was from my perspective. And while I was, while I was in the, the former Yugoslavia, I took, uh, literally thousands of photographs and like they say a picture worth a thousand words and so we, I just went through my photo album and each time I you know I'd look at a photograph and I remember exactly what was happening at that moment and uh you know just started just started writing and uh the process was interesting in that I I wrote things down as a note to myself and you know, after writing a thousand notes, I realized that I had something that needed to be put together. So I went through all of it chronologically because there was absolutely no order. I would uh, just look at these photographs and, and start writing. And, uh, you know, they weren't uh, from day one to, to day uh, 200 and whatever it was. Uh, so, again, I had to chronologically order organize everything and then uh, started I had to build the flow in between each note that I had written so that it would, uh, you know, like a segue from one, one piece to the next. And after a bit, it just, uh, it all came together. And in that each time I wrote something, it, it took that, that negative energy out of my body. You know, I just, I got it out there and, and I had to process each one of those notes over and over and over again. So there was some repetition therapy in there as well. So it got to a point where I'd, I'd written something horrific and after rereading it, uh, you know, two, sometimes 300 times, the, the trauma that was involved in that was not so, uh, it wasn't so, uh, so deep, you know, I'd actually been able to get it out. So it, it took a bit, but, uh, it was definitely a, a worthwhile endeavor.
0: Because you are able to process it uh, for yourself, so it was as much for you as it is for others. People yeah, don't exactly. uh, uh, understand just how hard it is for other guys that have been there to read those words. And mm-hmm. it, your tour, Roto-Zero, was a historic tour because it was the first time since a very, very long time that Canada was deployed for an for true operational theater. I mean, there was Cyprus, but Cyprus had cooled down, um, for years and years prior. So really there was a lot of career soldiers that were there that this is their first time in a, in a war zone after serving for even 10, 15 years, uh, Roto zero paved the way. And, uh, then of course we were in the Balkans for quite a few years after that.
1: Yeah. It was a, a 10 year, uh, mission after that, you know, going from, uh, UNPRO 4 to S4 to I4 to K4. Uh, you know, it was uh, definitely a, 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 a an interesting and often brutal time for Canada as peacekeepers.
0: Well, especially up until 95, 96. 95 was the big purge, and uh, I was there in 94. Then, of course, 93 was medec Pocket, which is unbelievable. And yes. uh, and Roto Zero, the first ones on the ground. It's. Um, bit of a forgotten war as well. But anywho, um being that this is the trauma recovery podcast, let's shift gears a little bit. Um to because you know firsthand the effects of PTSD on your life and the train wreck uh, that 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 can be um for a person's life. Is that the driver for all the work that you're doing, all the altruistic military minds and 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 rolling barrage? Like what is your driver for putting in that massive amount of effort?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, it is it is the big uh, focus on why I do what I do. Uh, you know, my own personal trauma and and you know alcoholism and and uh, addiction and all of the stuff that goes with it uh, you know, that I've, I've born and, and my family, you know, my kids and so on have all been, you know, exposed to, um, you know, the violent outbursts and all of that kind of stuff that because of all of that stuff, uh that's kind of what got me involved because I had all this experience over the years, uh, on all the things that are truly negative about, uh, PTSD and, uh, I had managed to survive it without any, uh, assistance from anybody. You know, I, I was like one of the old school, uh, survivors of this kind of, this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I, I had, to, I, I wanted to be able to, to give that kind of information to somebody else and help in whatever way I could. So, uh, military minds came along uh, in 2012 and I was asked to, uh, to become a part of the team, and I was honored. Uh, you know, Chris Dupy uh, had started something pretty amazing, and you know it's grown into into you know where it is now with the uh, the extension of the rolling barrage as well. So um, it was definitely the driver that 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 personal trauma, and I can also add in there that the suicides of you know a, a bunch of guys from our tour uh, have also been a, a catalyst and all that as well.
0: Yeah. And there's always lots of that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how many are, are gone from my tour, but a few, <laughs> yeah. including my, um, uh, two uh, IC company commander. Uh, I found out recently that, uh, uh he lasted a couple years after the tour and that was it. Then of course, um, uh, Kirk Cooper did it on our tour with a grenade so there's no half measures there
1: right you know and i i think just in one second there mark that there's something very important to point out in that it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what rank you are if you were you could have been an officer you could have been a private Uh, ptsd and the effects uh you know once they've once they've manifested it doesn't it's non-discriminatory it doesn't matter what rank or race or anything. It's, it's, uh, it's all encompassing.
0: No, that's absolutely it. And it's been said a thousand times before on Operation Tanker Romeo, but it is not an illness and is not a weakness. An OSI is an injury, no different than if you hit a landmine and you get a leg blown off. Uh, nobody's going to say, boy, you got weak shins because you lost your leg, you must just have a really weak leg or thin skin. But, and that type of uh, stereotype though, over the years has really dissipated and it's starting to be treated with respect uh, and with authenticity as a genuine injury, which it is. Uh, Scott, how long did you go without being diagnosed? Like at what point did you realize, oh shit, I need, (laughs) I need some help here.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, uh, the effects started, uh, pretty much right during the tour, how mm-hmm. messed up a lot of us were, uh, you know, we just, we got to a point where we didn't care anymore. You couldn't care about dying because if you did, you'd go crazy. Oh, yeah. So we, you know, we were already <laughs> at this point where, where, you know, things were definitely messed up in our chemistry and I didn't get diagnosed until 2008. So it was a uh, from ninety-two to, to two thousand and eight is how long I went undiagnosed. Now I had spent uh two days at National Defense Medical Center in Ottawa and you know, sitting with a, a doctor there, and you know, the conversations that we had were very veiled, and there was there was no personal admission in anything. You know, he he basically wrote a, a diagnosis at that time that I had. Uh, mild anxiety and uh, a bit of depression, but it was very like there was very little even said about that. And then 30 days later I was released from the army.
0: That must've felt like a betrayal.
1: Uh, yeah, it, it wasn't uh it wasn't a medical release. Uh, it was at a time when they were doing a force restructuring and mm-hmm. there was the option, the 30 day release program. And, because of a few other issues that were going on uh with uh, leadership not listening to what those of us had been exposed to combat had had to say uh I was I was bitter. Uh you know there was a there was a lot of anger at that point. Um uh, so I I opted for the 30 day release and you know I was a lifer. Everybody was in complete and utter shock, including myself when I when I when I left, you know on June 29th, 1994. So uh, it was, uh, I mean, it was it was the right move, but uh, yeah, yeah it, uh, it shocked a lot of people.
0: When you left the military, I was in the middle of my tour.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, all the uh, information that we wanted to be able to give to people that were going to be rotating in uh, was basically muzzled. We weren't allowed to talk about it. If we were, uh, you know, in a group of two or three of us together and uh, somebody saw that, one of the sergeants, uh, they'd come over and break us up and uh, make sure that we were, you know, we were basically told this is an illegal gathering. You disperse, you go this way, you go that way. And it was just, uh, it was a very bizarre time.
0: Circling back to uh, military minds, what is the scope of military minds like what's the scope in the mission
1: Well the mission's pretty straightforward what we do is uh we provide peer support uh, and none of us are doctors and we don't profess to be we don't give diagnoses and we just uh we just try and talk and let, uh, allow you know uh veterans and first responders to uh, and their families too to uh, reach out to us and and uh, we just talk and uh you know if they if they want to go in a in a treatment kind of direction, then we we try and align them with services in their area to help them out. And uh, we've actually just uh, connected with uh, the Concussion Legacy Foundation here in Canada, and we're going to be working together with them because a lot of our veterans that are coming to us now, uh, you know, have uh, TBI and so on, uh, traumatic brain injury. So we want to try and align them, uh, you know, with the proper brain uh, concussion treatments as well. So we're we're working with the with the legacy foundation here as well.
0: So how does that look then Scott? Like how do how do people get together? Um so is there like pods all over the uh, the country of military minds where where people do outreach within the veteran
1: community? Like how does it work? You know, everything is online and and that's the beauty of it is is we are global in that regard. We have uh, admins in Norway, uh Australia, the US, Canada, England. I mean, we're we're global in that regard. Uh, so it's, uh, Oh, and we even have one in Italy now. So, um, it's, a uh, it's very far reaching in that regard and it's all virtual. So much like now with, uh, this COVID-19 stuff and everybody doing the zoom calls and, and so on, we've, we've been breaking the, breaking the trail there for, you know, since 2012 already. So, uh, what we are doing in Canada is, uh, we're reaching out through the rolling barrage and that's bringing community together uh, in ways I've, I've never seen before. It's, it's very uh, heartwarming to see the people coming out there. And during that we can uh, you know, we're, we're putting the message out there too, that it's not weak to speak. And uh, you know, our, our motto is of course, is break the silence. You're not alone. It's a campaign we started back in 2012 and it's still ours. And, and it's been working.
0: The more you talk about it, the better it is. And that's part of the reason for this podcast. You know, it's a resource for for, for peer support. Um, peer support meetings, I mean, you got 35 different topics <laughs> that you can talk about because there's 35 episodes so far. By the end of the day, there'll be 38. And the more you talk about it, the less secrecy, you know, um, uh, it's like coming out of the closet. You know, when, when, uh, when you say, yeah, me too, I'm suffering and I'm, and I'm seeking help. I had a police officer come up to me and whisper, yeah, I've been getting some help too. He's keeping it as this, this big secret. And here I am advertising a podcast, you know? (laughs) Um,
1: Well, not everybody's as comfortable. You know, it takes time and, and it does. Uh, yeah. that's the thing, right? So, I'm, I mean, I'm still I'm,
0: not comfortable doing it, <laughs> but it's got to be done.
1: <laughs> yeah, I wasn't very vocal uh, in the beginning, other than, uh, you know, uh, just being angry and so on. And mm. once I actually started getting help and, and uh, you know, employing the tools that are required, then, you know, it's like, yeah, this is, this is the reality. To the point now where I'm, you know, one of the leads on the uh, mental health committee at my place of employment. And uh, driving force there to try and, uh, you know, even deal with uh, just basic mental health issues in the civilian world as well. So uh, it's not uh, something that everybody can do. And I'm just glad that I've been, you know, afforded an opportunity to be able to try and help people. I'm I'm fortunate in that regard.
0: Now, for those that don't know what the Rolling Barrage is, it's a cross-country fundraising motorcycle ride. Uh, There's all kinds of veteran motorcycle groups. Uh, not gangs, <laughs> crew, <laughs> motorcycle riders. And um, and you've received some spectacular sponsorship for the Rolling Barrage. I mean, didn't uh, Indian uh, give you a bike?
1: Yeah, uh, Indian Motorcycles has been very uh, supportive over the last uh, four years. They, they came out for the uh, inaugural run. Uh, they provided me with a motorcycle to ride across uh, which was, you know, absolutely fantastic.
0: It's a gorgeous uh, bike.
1: Yeah. And, and just this past year, they, uh, put another bike up for us that we put, uh, another veteran on. I rode my own and, and the bike that was donated to us for the use of the ride. Uh, we, we did a contest, so to speak, uh, you know, give us a 500 word essay as to why you think, uh, you should be the the guy riding this motorcycle, and
0: I didn't know. I didn't hear about that, or I would have been writing me an essay. Let me tell you.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it uh, it was a, a a quick one. That's why you didn't you probably didn't hear about it. Uh, <laughs> Damn it, writing's my thing
0: too. I had a shot. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, there was uh, some logistics with uh, with Indian uh, coming up to that point, and and when they finally pulled the trigger and said, "Yeah, well, let's do this," uh, we only had a few weeks, and and that's why there wasn't a. A huge burst out there of, of information. So anyhow, we went through the uh, process. We found uh, a veteran from Kelowna. He uh, served in Afghanistan. He was a reservist and a uh, fantastic guy. Clint uh, came out and, and rode right across Canada. And yeah, it was a, a really healing ride for him and, and everybody that showed up. That's
0: fantastic.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So is the rolling barrage a fundraising arm for military mines then?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm cautious in how I would say that it's a fundraising event for military minds. It, it, it's part of what we do, uh, you know, it, for the ride is, is fundraising. It's not the premier idea behind it though. It, uh, the ride is about healing. It's about community. It's about coming out and uh, breaking the stigma. And, uh, you know, that, that part of it is really what's working. Um, the, mm-hmm the fundraising part of it is, is very limited in that the only money we actually draw in from that is through our registration and through our, uh, uh, you know, the merchandise that we, we sell and, uh, through that registration. And the thing is, is that money from there, it just goes right back out to other veteran organizations, uh, ones that deal specifically with, uh, retreats The, you know they deal with the actual uh clinicians taking care of the troops. so the money doesn't stay in our account for very long it stays in there long enough to to mass it together and then we disperse it to uh honor house uh, rally point retreat and um uh river valley respite retreat and you know camp my way where there's retreats across canada that we're trying to disperse this money to and, and i we're vetting other organizations as they come forward.
0: Camp my uh, that's uh, Terrence Koskakar.
1: Yes. Yeah. Right here in British Columbia. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he's doing some great work as well.
0: Had so, Terrence on the show. What an amazing story.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. He's a, he's an interesting character. <laughs> that's full of for energy sure. And, and, uh, yeah, you know, he's, <laughs> he, he's so full of energy and, and is very passionate about, uh, you know, uh, about the the trauma, you know, and getting people to, to the resources they need. So he's doing a great job.
0: Here in Calgary, a new one um, opened up for veterans and first responders. Cause really we're all part of the same family from my perspective. Um, mm-hmm. Called the wine glass wellness retreat. Uh, mm-hmm. Paul Wagman has put that together. It's, it's spectacular. And it's just a, a fantastic place just outside of Cochrane where after trauma, you can go there uh, for uh, peer support and decompression and it's Perfect. just gorgeous a ranch house was donated for it just amazing
1: i'd like to talk to you more about that
0: yeah we'll we'll have to do that offline for sure um so the rolling barrage this year it seems to me that there's going to be some logistical issues because of the covid uh in particular i'm thinking my plan is to meet you guys in winnipeg and then go from winnipeg to the coast i figure that's that's a good enough ride for me um halfway but it's halfway <laughs> but um uh, but winnipeg uh, if you go there you're supposed to quarantine for 2 weeks or, or something like that before you can go in like what's what are some of the challenges because of the covid for the rolling barrage this year
1: oh well
0: <laughs> lots of I, them
1: <laughs> yeah it's like how do i even comment on this because uh the the whole scenario is changing moment by moment literally uh yeah and and the reality and and we know this is your best laid plans fail at first contact yeah so uh you know we're we're trying to organize the ride as though it's a situation no change we're just going to ride from halifax to vancouver everything's going to be good that's how we're planning (laughs) <laughs> and you know at the end of the day, if we have to change it up we we have contingencies that we're building so that it becomes uh instead of uh interprovincial, it becomes a provincial ride and you know we we have the what we call the full pole crew and that that's the guys and gals that ride from from the east coast to the west coast right across yeah and the logistics that that are involved in that you know getting your motorcycle out to Halifax getting yourself out there and then riding it back. I mean, there's a cost that's involved in that, that they have to,
0: what does it cost to ship your bike out by train or can it even be done by plane to get it to the coast?
1: Yeah. The best way to do it is to ship it by truck. You take it into the dealership, you have it uh, crated up and then they ship it by truck. It takes about six days, but the whole process you need to allow yourself a couple of weeks. You have to look at, uh, Number one, getting it crated, getting it on the truck, getting it driven out there, uh, uncrating. They, they do a, you know, a PDI on it when it re, when it arrives out East, mm-hmm. to make sure that it, nothing's been damaged and it works properly. And then uh, you have to look at w- when you're getting there and try and organize that because if it's a, uh, if you're arriving on a Saturday evening, well, the bike shops are usually closed Sunday, and Monday, and, so I and you have to look at holidays and there's there's a lot of stuff that has to you have to play in. So you you usually end up arriving three days or four days before the ride even starts.
0: Well that's it. I'm gonna get my class one license so I can ride drive the bikes all there and then ride back. But how the hell am yeah. I gonna pick up my truck then? Shit.
1: <laughs> well, I wish you luck. And when you figure it out <laughs> I know a guy who can use that information. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. So yeah, it, so with covid uh you know and this the borders being closed uh, apparently right now quebec uh, they are actually policing all the uh all the in and out routes to the province and uh they're turning people back or or you know uh, not allowing them to transit unless they're with from quebec so that right now is seems to be our biggest stumbling block uh, mm-hmm. uh People that live, you know, in their own provinces are more than welcome to ride anywhere they want. And, and what we're going to be doing is uh, making sure that, you know, we're following the physical distance rules and and so on. Uh, restaurants are now open. They're allowing groups of, of 50 in, in many provinces. So, uh, again, we're just we're, we're having to play it by ear and, and hoping that, uh, you know, things are going to are going to play out here by by August.
0: Well, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I mean, the timing is kind of good because the rules are getting re- more and more relaxed every w- couple of weeks here, it seems.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So we will see how it goes. Now, I uh, I just wanted you to touch on a story from, I think, a couple of years ago of a veteran who wasn't talking to anybody and didn't talk for about halfway through the country <laughs> before he would start to join people. And uh, could you do you know the story I'm talking about?
1: Oh yeah, that was actually uh, just last year. That was, that was uh, a fella from uh, Prince Edward Island. Uh, He came and and joined us in Halifax. And he was, as I've said, he was like a feral dog. He, he was very skittish and, and didn't want to make contact. And he was off on his own. And I just, by my nature, I walked over and I was like, Hey, are you, uh, are you coming with us on the ride? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's why I'm here. I said, okay, well, you're more than welcome to come and join us over here and, and uh, have a pop and coffee and, you know, shoot the breeze. And he's like, Nope, that's good. I'm I'm just going to stay here. I like my, my little spot here. I'm just going to take it easy and, and come, come along for the ride. I'll probably just ride back to, to PEI and that's, that's as far as I'm going to go. I was like, Oh, okay, well, that's fantastic. You're, you're welcome you know, to ride as long or as short as you want. And on day one, when we left Halifax, he was a uh, hundred yards behind us. He didn't ride with the group. Uh, he was with us though. And uh, he made it, you know, all the way through uh, Nova Scotia, through New Brunswick into Prince Edward Island and uh, back it out again through New Brunswick and into uh, Quebec. And it, it it was interesting. I thought, well, okay, he's, he's ridden, he's ridden a little farther than PEI. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Again, just a little bit. Yeah, just a little. And he was still at that point, he was, you know, keeping himself distanced from, from everybody. And I mean, he was a nice fella. I talked to him every day, checked up on him, make sure he was happy and everything was going well. And uh, yeah, I mean, he was, he was cordial in that regard. He just kept his distance. And it was interesting when we hit Saskatoon, <laughs> he was still with us and, <laughs> and And there was this change
0: for for any international listeners, Saskatoon is in uh, the middle of Saskatchewan,
1: yeah, it's like just a little past the center of Canada as you're as you're crossing to the west. And so he had ridden literally over halfway across the country for a guy who was only going to ride about five hundred kilometers. So I mean we're in the we're now in the middle of Saskatchewan and uh, over halfway across the country and and this fella is still with us and he's not the feral dog that he was when we started he is now sitting at the table wearing uh, clothing other than riding gear and he's got a smile on his face and he's talking with the guys and and he's having dinner he's sitting with us having dinner and I. I actually, oh man, this has hit me again now. <sighs> I stood there and I was in tears because I, I mean, this, excuse me, sorry.
0: Um, oh, it's wonderful.
1: Oh, it was so amazing to see. It was like, finally, you know, the, all the stuff that we're doing uh, with this ride. And, and this was like, for me, it was the moment that everything that I'd poured into this ride was was sitting right in front of me having dinner and I was just I was just so happy it was uh, it was incredible and uh you know his wife wrote me an email uh during the ride uh, after Saskatoon and she says uh Scott I don't know what you're doing but keep doing it because he is he's a changed person like this is the man I married and I was like wow okay <laughs> so here we are uh, this year is our fourth annual and uh, next year there will, there will be a fifth annual and a sixth and a seventh. Like this ride is going to continue because of stories like that. You know, this, this first responder who had, uh, who has seen, you know, more than his fair share of tragedy uh, as, as, you know, is now on his way to recovery. And it was all part of, you know, that healing process in the rolling barrage. So I'm, yeah, it's got to continue and it will continue. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's just amazing.
0: A big part of the challenge of transitioning into civilian life and dealing with, um, a traumatic injury is that a traumatic injury disconnects you from your life. It, it disconnects you from society because it separates you from society. And, you feel very, very isolated, that there's nobody to talk to, that you're the odd duck, the black sheep. You just don't fit anywhere. And sometimes the worst peer supporters are other veterans, you know, because they got just the worst damned advice because they haven't been trained and they don't understand, and they don't understand their own injuries. so they they can't help you with yours until they figure out their own. And well,
1: um, and keep in mind, Mark nobody was nobody is trained in first no aid. No. In the army, or otherwise, you know how to deal with this kind of injury.
0: That's exactly you know,
1: I mean, it. Breathing, bleeding, broken bones, and burns for <laughs> D- you know that's the way you deal with
0: direct it. pressure and elevate doesn't work
1: <laughs> for an OSI. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So
0: yeah, at um, uh, but something like the rolling barrage, what it does is it is it creates that connection and mm-hmm. disconnection is the dysfunction. Disconnection causes uh, is a big factor in alcoholism and addiction and depression it's feeling disconnected and what i think happened with uh this individual from pei is that over time it took him half of canada to 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 really feel it but uh he was obviously seeking that connection but um there's so many times that we get rejected we get rejected by relationships, by friends, by society in general because we don't fit. We're different. We speak a different language. Um, we have a different way of looking things, a, a different way of operating that is not congruent with civilian life at all. Uh, especially if you're infantry, and yeah, uh, like especially infantry, but um, yeah, but I mean, military in general. <laughs>
1: yeah, the transition out for me was was you know, I can't say it's any more difficult than anybody else, but from my own perspective, it was it was hell in trying to <laughs> to be a civilian. i yeah I had no idea how to do that and and then, for all intents and purposes, I still don't know how to do civilian I i I don't know how to be that person. Uh, you know you call it brainwashing whatever you want. I just i'm i'm not I'm not that person i'm 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 a soldier. Through, through and through, and uh, so when I'm dealing with people, you know, just day to day, I I come across as this, you know, hard asshole all the time. <laughs> it's like I'm I'm really not. Why not is Scott such an asshole? <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: so you have talked to them.
0: <laughs> not an asshole, just a soldier. Sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's interesting.
0: Yeah. Um, People have said to me, man, you just look so serious. I'm like, this is just my face. (laughs) This is what my face looks like.
1: Yeah. I'm smiling. (laughs) (laughs) That's the one I always use. Look, I'm smiling.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh, This is what smiling looks like. Uh, And it's funny, you know, uh, uh, how many years did you serve?
1: uh, I was was served for 10.
0: Okay. And I only did five and, uh, but it doesn't matter. It's more than enough.
1: (laughs) It's long enough to get that smile.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's right. The soldier smile. And um, (laughs) it just, it it sticks with you. Like the old saying, um, uh, right from basic training, you can take uh, the person out of the army, but you can't take the army out of the person. You just can't. You know, uh, even going from army to air force, which a lot of guys did, that is a transition shock. You know, anybody that I know of has done it, they're like, oh my God. God, these guys are so slack. I just want to run around, throat chopping everybody, <laughs> and uh, um, it's just a different world. But I think a really good progression to civilian life. I think it should be like the rule. Every army guy should go to the air force for a couple of years as a sort of a stepping stone to civilian life.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Make it a little uh, easier.
1: Yes, and and now with first responders, you know, we're they're. They're civilians, but they're still in uniform, and and i maybe not so much as for the police services, but uh, definitely there's there's a difference there, you know, from from civilian to wearing the uniform and and to the military. So we are all in the same family.
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, slightly yeah. slightly different language, but uh, it crosses mm-hmm. over. Like we understand each other. Yeah, yeah. What I uh, sort of boil it down to, Scott, is that. <laughs> Uh, not, not to be a downer, but we have seen the devil. We've stood in the presence of evil and
1: gas with that mother. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's, it, 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 whether you feel that that's a figurative term or a literal term, it has the same effect. It leaves a stamp, a scar on you when you've seen true evil, uh, and, and waited in it, um, that's what changes you and it doesn't matter if you're a soldier or a first responder it, the modality is different uh but the evil itself evil is evil
1: you know yeah. whether
0: it's yeah. um urban rural or in a war zone
1: yeah the moral injuries that we sustain oh, are, jesus are the same you know it's not uh it's not normal to see the things that we see no so it's it's uh you know crosses all the lines there. Uh, and in both ways, it crosses all the lines in moral injury and it crosses all the lines in what uniform you wear. It's all, it's all the same.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It is. Um, there is a line in the movie Fury, the armored movie, there with all the tanks, and, uh, it really stuck with me because like, man, they got good writers. Cause they, they got this part, right. <laughs> you know, Hollywood doesn't usually get much right, but, uh, there was a new guy that showed up and there's bombs going off. Nobody else even flinches, you know, which as you know, it takes a few weeks before <laughs> that settles in yeah. before you start, stop reacting to it and barely notice it. But, um, uh, the new guy and all wide eyed and scared and, um, and what he was told when he first got on the ground is, yeah don't worry about that. You'll get used to the bombs and the bullets. That's really not a heavy. <laughs> what you won't get used to is understanding what one man can do to another. That's what's yeah. gonna do it to you when you see it yeah. and um and that's it. you know that's that's what whether you're a first responder of any sort um going to domestics or whatever um, or one of us, you know it's yeah. It's the same. You still see the worst of the worst of the worst, and that is far beyond the comprehension of of most civilians, of most people.
1: Mm-hmm. You know. And you know what? I, I'll, and I'll be completely honest in this. I like to keep it that way too. The well, less people that are opposed yeah. to this, the better.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, my my father said that to me. I said, Dad, you can't imagine what I've seen. He goes, and I shouldn't, nor should okay. I. I'm like, yeah. oh, that's actually a really good point.
1: You know, that's, it's one that, that for me, that's, that's a healing one too, right? I take mm -hmm. that away with me. It's like we, we take on those injuries so that everybody else doesn't have to. So it's, uh, that, that has helped me a lot.
0: Yeah, that is true. And that, and that is the source of, uh, of the pride. There's a piece I wrote that I'll send you after the show called why we remember. And, um, it hits on exactly that. And, um, it was read, uh, it. A, a, a couple of mayors across the, because it was p- published in the Toronto Star, and then a couple of mayors actually read it. <laughs> and uh, um, so we'll be republishing that again uh, this year, um, a couple of weeks prior to Remembrance Day on todayville.com, and then we'll uh, we'll publish that throughout. But anyway, uh, Scott Casey, Military Minds President and the founder of the Rolling Barrage, now, uh, how can people join the the rolling barrage? this year.
1: Uh, well, there's a multitude of ways you can uh, register to ride and uh, come out and you know jump on your motorcycle and ride with us, or you can uh, just come out and support, stand on the side of the highway and wave or meet us uh, at our uh, evening stops, meet us at our lunch stops. Uh, the route, uh, is still, uh, we're, we're putting that all together. It's going to be very similar to, you know, each year. Are you going to come and through that, Okotoks uh, again? Uh, yes, we are. Yep. We're going to Okotoks. I believe that's on the 19th of August. I would have to look at my schedule. Uh, but again, that's all up on the website as well. Uh, military minds, Inc, uh, sorry, uh, militarymindsinc.com. You can find us there and the rolling barrage.com. and, uh, we have our Facebook pages as well with all the information. It's it's all up. Just uh, come on out. It's a, it's a great time.
0: When you rolled into uh, Okotoks last year, was that the best reception that you had across the country?
1: Uh, the best reception we had across Canada uh, last year was in Canada. <laughs> 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 you're not going to pick a favorite
0: fine pick
1: a favorite I can't fine pick a favorite.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you politician yeah. oh, all right. yeah. come on you Just know it was the best <laughs> i was proud of it i was proud
1: That's of it a, no you know what uh Okotoks is fantastic um, yeah
0: shout know, out she, to carola singer there
1: oh yeah yeah she's uh she's a machine when it comes to to organizing and getting things together um couldn't couldn't give her uh, any more props than that. She's just uh, a phenomenal human being.
0: Yeah, Corolla really hurt. is.
1: Yeah.
0: So uh, Corolla Singer is the wife of, um, of a veteran who served with the Royal Canadian Regiment and is now currently a firefighter. And uh, the two of uh, them joined the ride from Okotoks forward with, uh, and they rode together as husband and wife, which is really something special as well.
1: Yeah, I'm. Uh, I, I actually, uh, I take the claim that uh, they're the reason. That, uh, I'm the reason that they got buried.
0: Oh, is that right?
1: <laughs> yeah, when uh, when we were standing on parade in uh, London, Ontario, Sean was a a brand new out of battle school, uh, no hook private, and <laughs> we're standing on parade, and the sergeant major asked if anybody wanted to go to Winnipeg to three RCR, and. I stepped firmly to attention and put my hand up and Sean was right beside me. And I whispered to him, put your hand up. <laughs> and, uh, he was like, what? I said, put your hand up. So he put his hand up and, <laughs> you know, going to Winnipeg might not have been the the, the best choice going from London, Ontario, <laughs> but, but I knew that we were the rotation base for, for CFE Europe. For Germany. Yeah. For Germany. Yeah. And, And, you know, the rest is history. They met in Germany, and they've been together since.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah, usually putting your arm up in the military is a bad idea. Who likes (laughs) motorcycles? Great. Uh, Go
1: go dig that hole. (laughs) All little nuances like that are in the book, Ghost Keepers, too. You know, you get all kinds of... The conversations
0: in there yeah and learn the culture a little bit scott casey Mm -hmm. uh, stay on the line and thank you for being here and for all that you do uh, for your continued service to the veteran community
1: thanks mark
0: you're listening to operation tango romeo the trauma recovery podcast for veterans first responders and their families At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making peer support for post-traumatic stress disorder easily accessible with a vision of a world where finding help and support is simple and the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast.